good lawyers are a dime a dozen to find. They're a dime a dozen out there in the, in the, in the major firms across the, across the country. So they're very replaceable. So the fact that they have the skill set doesn't really do the law firm any good if, unless they have business. And if the senior partners are, are exiting the boomers who have the significant books, and this is, like I say, all across the country in small firms and large firms, uh, they need plans to figure out how we're going to maintain this book when so-and-so leaves. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for joining us today. This is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from just outside of Boston, Massachusetts. My co-host, J. Craig Williams from California, is in court today and unable to be with us. Craig, of course, uh, writes the blog com, and I write two blogs, uh, Law Sites and also Media Law. And uh, we'd like to take this opportunity to thank the show's sponsors, Clio, the web-based practice management solution, which you could find at goclio.com. SunTrust, which offers private wealth management solutions for attorneys and law firms at suntrust.com slash law. And Firm Manager from LexisNexis, available at myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. Well, I, last week, uh, Nelson Schwartz, a reporter for the New York Times, wrote an article titled, Easing out the gray-haired or not, in which he focused in particular on the fate of the baby boomer generation within law firms. According to the article, uh, as about 44 million baby boomers approach retirement, there is uh, uh, uncertainty and debate within law firms as to uh, exactly uh, how to handle them as to whether they should stay or go uh, within firms and, and how best to uh, to make these decisions. Uh, today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to take a look at this generation of baby boomers uh, within the legal profession uh, as they near retirement age. Uh, I guess the question in part is, what is retirement age these days? Uh, and uh, when is uh, getting on in years, uh, getting on in too many years, uh, I guess, within law practice. So we're going to take a look at this question and, and uh, this issue and talk to two experts about it today. Uh, let me introduce them and we'll get then we'll get into our discussion. Uh, joining us first today is attorney Valerie C. Samuels. Uh, Valerie is a partner in the firm Posternak, Blankstein & Lund in Boston and co-chair of the firm's employment law group, Valerie's employment law practice is comprehensive. It involves representing nationwide employers in all types of employment matters. She also represents executives in the negotiation of employment contracts, non-competition covenants, and severance packages. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Valerie Samuels. Thank you. And also joining us today from the Twin Cities in Minnesota is attorney Roy Ginsburg. Roy is a Lawyer, coach, and career counselor. He coaches lawyers one-to-one on the areas of business development, practice management, and career development and career transitions. Hundreds of attorneys across the country have turned to Roy for expert support in these areas. Roy has practiced for more than 25 years in law firms from large to small and in a corporate setting. 
Uh, and he still practices law part-time as a solo practitioner. Uh, welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Roy Ginsburg. Thank you very much. Valerie, let me just start with you and, and, and as, an, as an employment lawyer. Uh, ask generally, I mean, what are you seeing in terms of, not, not just within the legal profession, but what has been the impact on the sort of baby boomer generation uh, and businesses of any kind as, they, as the numbers of people approaching retirement age uh, get larger and larger? Well, the first thing that employers have seen is many more um, age discrimination claims. Many people are deferring their retirement because of the severe recession. They've seen their 401ks turn into, I like to call them 101ks, and they have lost the option to retire at the sort of traditional retirement age of 62 or 65. Some of them are hanging on for a few extra years, and that's creating friction for many employers. How about from you, Roy? You, I noticed uh, on your uh, on your website, you alluded to the fact that uh, in terms of retirement planning, it, it's never too early for a lawyer to start retirement planning. Is it ever too late? <laughs> what are you hearing from lawyers who are at later stages in their careers and are wondering what they should be doing at this point? I think for lawyers, it's only too late if uh, if you're one of those lawyers who have a book of business that's transferable. Let's say if you're a solo practitioner and a small firm lawyer. That's the only, then you won't be able to, you know, get some value out of it potentially by selling it or finding a successor and then having that, you know, buyer or successor get. So in that sense, it's, it's too late in, 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 in that respect. But, but there are many lawyers who still want to, you know, do it the traditional way and that is, you know, die at their desk. And then of course you leave money on the table if you have a practice like that. And in the larger firms, uh, there's no, I mean, I think what, it's very similar what's going on in corporate America except, the law firms are, you know, laying off the older partners who aren't productive. So they're looking at the productivity. So a lot of them want to hang on, but a lot of law firms are, you know, forcing them out. These are a lot of the layoffs you don't read in the newspapers about what the law firms are doing. Uh, and then they're between a rock and a hard place because they're basically being laid off because they have no book of business. And, uh, and, they have been, and they have few options at that, at that point if they're, let's say, in their 60s. So the old days where I think the law firms were more willing to let the older partners uh, retire on pretty much on their own on, on their own terms because they're running a business, you know, look they have to look at it more as a business than they ever have had to uh, are making those tough business decisions, and those without a book are uh, you know out of, out of luck in many situations. Valerie, I wonder what your perspective is on that. Are you are, are law firms uh, dealing differently with some of the older? partners in the firm than, than they did 10, 20, 30 years ago? Well, I think it goes without saying that the practice of law has changed dramatically from just a profession, merely a profession, I shouldn't demean that, but to really a business. And so, of course, we're seeing law firms treat their more senior lawyers differently, especially if they view them as not as productive. I do think it depends. Um, there have been some cases against some of the larger law firms, the international or the nationwide law firms that are run essentially as big corporations. They have gotten in some hot water with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission because they've had mandatory retirement programs. However, some of the smaller and mid-sized firms are a lot more flexible and they work out, I've seen them work out arrangements with their more senior lawyers to transition practices uh, and, and basically you know, everybody sort of wins because the more senior lawyer retires gracefully when he or she is pretty much ready to go and the firm is able to keep the clients. 
by bonding the relationship with a younger or newer attorney. And one of the problems, the law, sometimes the law firm manager, management is between a rock and a hard place because the lawyer may want to stay on, but is losing their edge, uh, which is going to start to happen to some people sooner rather than later. Uh, and it's, that's a very, very difficult uh, message to deliver to someone who you've been working with for you know, 30, 30, 40 years. But at the same time, I fully agree with Valerie. So, you know, this is a great opportunity for some senior lawyers who have a book of business, who are very brave and still have the passion. Uh, and the, the law firms are very, very short-sighted that, that still have the mandatory. Uh, I, last year, I read in, uh, that the uh, a former managing partner at Arnold and Porter, you know, a, a very prestigious D.C. firm, you know, at, at 70 years old was moving over to Davis Polk, of course, a very prestigious Wall Street firm, and I'm scratching my head what's going on here <laughs> and what's going on there. Arnold and Porter has a mandatory retirement. And so this guy <laughs> moves over to Davis and Polk, I'm sure, with a nice book of business. Uh, and, you know, somewhat short-sighted, I believe, in all of them. Porter, I kind of believe what, what Val is saying. They should, everyone should be flexible and treated on their own terms, especially since the mental acuity of the lawyers are going to be, is going to vary significantly as well as their book of business. Well, how was a, a, a Valerie, you mentioned some of the lawsuits, and of course, probably the, the, the most well-known of, uh, of those was the, the Sidley Austin case a, a few years back when the EEOC uh, brought suit against Sidley Austin, uh, and they entered, uh, entered, entered into a, I think it was a consent decree. I'm not yeah. sure, but uh, agreeing to pay some close to, close to thirty million dollars to some, I think it was thirty, thirty-two former partners, uh, to settle the case. Um, what, what was the impact of that? I mean, other than the shock value, I guess, for law firms, was there a real impact of that in terms of the way that law firms are, are structuring their their retirement or their compensation packages for older partners? I think the real impact of that was that in the consent decree, Sidley, you're right, they paid close to $30 million. They paid, I think, $27.5 million to 32 former partners. But the real impact of that case was that in the consent decree, um, Sidley Austin agreed that these partners were were employees within the meaning of the ADEA, the Age Discrimination and Employment Act. That's a very significant issue, and this signals that the EEOC is viewing, shall we say, the rank-and-file partners, those that aren't on the management committee or the executive committee of their firm, the people who are in the trenches really doing the work and dealing with the clients, not as true partners, because if they truly were partners, they wouldn't be subject to the jurisdiction of the EEOC or covered by the Age Discrimination in Employment Act. So that raises a whole Pandora's box of issues, which is if these people aren't really partners, if they're really employees, whether they're 35 years old or 70 years old, they're now, for all intents and purposes, going to have the protection of all of the employment discrimination statutes. The age discrimination law, sexual orientation in in a particular state, if they have such a statute, a gender bias, disability, this raises a real, a real problem for law firms and, of course, a great opportunity for partners who may feel they've been discriminated against. So in answer to your question, the short answer is I think the firms have watched very closely the Sidley Austin case. They're probably trying to figure out how they can get around it. Although recently, I think it was in late January, EEOC struck again 
They sued Kelly, Dry, and Warren for age discrimination for essentially um, drastically cutting a 70-year-old partner's pay. So I think everyone at the big firms is on edge about this, and no clear consensus of how to deal with it has yet emerged. Well, the the New York Times article, uh, somebody in that piece uh, says something along the lines of "65 is is the new 45," and uh, you know we've all we've all heard uh, sentiments along those lines. So, while uh, you know, as you said earlier, uh, Valerie, that the the, the business of, of law has changed in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, uh, lawyers have changed in a lot of ways as well. At least their, their physical health and, and vitality. Uh, and uh, so I'm wondering, I mean, Roy, how how should law firms be handling uh, this issue? Uh, I mean, is does age even matter? Is it a matter of age or is it simply a matter of ability to do the job? Well, I'll, I'll give you the two-word answers lawyers love to give their clients. It depends. <laughs> I think you actually <laughs> the best is to, uh, to treat each, indivi- each lawyer, you know, individually. And uh, certainly you need policies regarding matters, but... I think as as the profession, quote unquote, is becoming more and more of a business, uh, you need to assess. Uh, I guess again, the vitality, the passion the lawyer has. You know, I mean, lawyers. I work with lawyers who are forty years old and still love what they do, and I also work with them and can't wait to you know get out and then everything uh, in between. And more and more important is, of course, do they have the relationship with the clients? Are they bringing in business? Uh, and so, so law firms are certainly going to be more willing to keep those older partners on as long, you know, as long as they, as long as they want. I think it's actually what's the big, the, the part of the unwritten story is, uh, law firms, the boomers retiring whenever, the, whenever that may be, whether they're 62 or 70, and really the law, the law firms engaging in virtually no transition planning. Uh, and you're going to have these junior partners who don't have necessarily significant books, or you have people retiring with significant books, and those partners are going to, you know, gallop off into the sunset. And really, you know, they've made their money, and without, notwithstanding the institutional loyalty they may have had, uh, they're they're gone. And I think the firms are going to be scrambling the, the junior partners to keep the to, get, to keep the business. Uh, and many firms and the junior partners are in denial that this is going to happen, and then the senior partners are like, well, they'll, they'll do what they'll they'll leave on their own terms when and they they play their cards close to the chest, but because uh, no one wants to admit that they're thinking of slowing down. So the last people they actually tell are the people right down the hall who need to know years in advance the plan, and sometimes they'll they'll give like you know a couple of weeks or a few months notice. Uh, that's that's going to cause a crisis in small firms and large firms across the country. Well, isn't it uh, isn't it incumbent on the uh, the the economy of, of law firms that they not become top heavy, that they maintain sort of a a pyramid structure of a, a fewer uh, fewer people at the top earning the big bucks and, and more more sort of you know worker bees uh, lower lower in the structure. Right, and that's that's of course how all you know when everyone reads the profits per partner in American lawyer, they think they're making the two million on the eight hundred dollar an hour rate. In fact, it's on the leveraging of the of the junior people. So. You're correct. Uh, you know, you're very much correct there. But I think what's what's happening. You got you need the worker bees, but the worker bees don't have. They're great lawyers and talented lawyers, but they have no book of business. And uh, when I'm out on the roads preaching, I mean, uh, good lawyers are a dime a dozen to find. They're a dime a dozen out there in the in the, in the major firms across the, across the country. So they're very replaceable. So the fact that they have the skill set doesn't really do the law firm any good if unless they have business. And if the senior partners are, are exiting, the boomers. Who have the significant books, and this is like I say, all across the country in small firms and large firms, uh, they need plans to figure out how are we going to maintain this book when so and so leaves. 
Uh, and like I said, a few firms that I've talked to anecdotally and what I read on the topic and, and the, my experience with my coaching clients is, is like it, you'd be amazed how, uh, Perhaps you won't be amazed at how poorly run these firm, law firms are, how they, they don't look uh, out into the future on such uh, – it's a train wreck. Com, com, you know, train's coming down the track, and they're just you know, hoping it doesn't hit them, but it's unrealistic because they're basically tied to the track. It's true. I mean, no, no uh, law firm is precluded under the law from having a voluntary retirement program. As long as it's truly retire, uh, voluntary. However, they can also – and they should be incorporating in that – a mechanism to transition the practices down to the next generation. Otherwise, I think you're 100% right, Roy. These, tra- these firms are headed for disaster. Yeah, precisely. I mean, the firms need to basically be cre- a little more creative with their compensation policies because that's going to, of course, drive behavior. They need to incent the older lawyers to, you know, to delegate uh, and, and to co- cooperate with, the, with the, and, and, and get compensated, let's say, for uh, time spent transitioning clients. They need to be creative in a way to incent the senior lawyers to reveal their plans, number one, and then to appropriate a plan to write who's the most, you know, who are the people who are best going to work with the, potentially work with this uh, other client. Uh, and, you know, but too many, you know, too many law firms, as I'm sure that some of you and the list of the audience may or may not be aware, uh, the, the law firms in name only in many ways, even the big firms with hundreds, they're a bunch of solos really just having a fancy office sharing arrangement. And a lot of lawyers have a cowboy mentality. And it's the true law firm that really operates as a team and cares about, you know, how, to, how are we going to care and fee for the younger lawyers. And that just requires, you know, basic strategic planning that corporate America has been doing for years. And law firms are just getting on board. Uh, doing that, that type of uh, stuff. Is this just a problem uh, with with the larger firms, uh, or is this? I mean, is this something that's sort of going across uh, law firms of all size, smaller firms, mid-sized firms? Uh, uh, Valerie, I, I I don't want to put you on the spot and ask you to talk about your own firm, but I mean, what what are you seeing out there uh, within the legal community? I think that the mandatory programs are largely a function, and this is just anecdotal, but I think they are geared towards the big firms, the ones that are run like corporations. The small firms, the mid-sized firms, I think are a lot more flexible. I think they they have to be because they have fewer of the institutional clients and the client base that these giant firms have so that they really can see directly that if, you know, John down the hall who's turning 69 just picks up and leaves and takes his $2 million with him, or it evaporates into the ether, this firm's really going to be suffering. So I think that they're much more proactive. But again, this is all anecdotal. And I think in the smallest firms, uh, this, the tiny firms, a few people, uh, 10 people, you know, money talks much more loudly. If someone has a big practice, there's no reason to push them out, even if they're really not doing much work, but they still have key client relationships. That's just my sense. I can't empirically prove it. Yeah, what I'm seeing, this is anecdotally also in my own experience coaching uh, lawyers in the smaller firms. Typically, the ones I coach in the smaller firms are the the big rainmakers, and they basically call call the shots, and they're just deciding what they want to do. From one extreme is they really don't care about their staff for years and years, and they'll just, you know, try to uh, take the money and run, i.e., maybe sell it. Uh, or merge with another firm and, you know, maybe their staff will have jobs, maybe not. You know, to basically, I've seen, you know, senior lawyers, uh, basically, you know, 
carefully transition and basically leave money on the table and basically give the book away to some of the junior people uh, at their law firm. But they're kind of calling, calling the shots. When the larger firms, of course, it's much, much, much more complicated uh, a, a process and procedure. Uh, and it's all, again, all over the board. Is there is there at all a, a gender issue here as well? I mean, is is it are, are older women lawyers facing a tougher time than older male lawyers? No, I think that younger women lawyers have a much tougher time than than their male peers because they run into the buzzsaw if they have children of how to deal with that in a law firm environment that expects you know twenty four seven three sixty five availability. I think that by the time someone is well past the child-bearing and certainly child-rearing age, that I don't think it matters that much. And in fact, I mean, women I guess statistically are, have been healthier than men. I'm not sure it makes that much of a difference in your 60s, but certainly beyond that, that's been true. So I haven't seen any, any gender bias issues about that. As I say, they mostly come in their 20s and 30s, those kind of gender bias problems for law firms. Yeah, I, I would fully agree. The, the issue is as the, at the younger level, uh, the younger age. And interestingly enough, the ones actually the older women lawyers retiring now, they were the real pioneers. These are, this is really the first generation of women of the, at the major firms retiring. Uh, and from what I can see anecdotally and what I read, this there are there really are no issues. It's the same that I think uh, that's one area that there's probably no discrimination against women in the profession. <laughs> it's on the, on their way out again. It's it's money talks. If you if they're if they if they're making money, if they're productive, the law firms are going to keep them. And typically, the ones who have you know the real real pioneers who have made you know uh, who are still partners at the major firms uh, have obviously been been productive and, and they've kept them on. So there's I, I see no reason why they're going to be trained any differently than. Man than the men. There's there's no gender discrimination and age discrimination uh, is what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, we have to take a short break. Stay with us. We will be right back after these few words. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to introduce us to the world of cloud computing and how it can be beneficial to lawyers and law firms. Jack, we're hearing great things about cloud computing and its utility for law firms. Can you tell me why so many lawyers are excited about cloud computing? I think the most important thing about cloud computing from a lawyer's perspective is that it gives them the power and breadth of features that traditional desktop and server-based software uh, gives them without all of the IT overhead and inconvenience. So there's uh, all the benefits and none of the downsides of traditional desktop-based software and they're able to focus on practicing law with a really solid cloud computing platform behind them. So I think that's where you're seeing a lot of the, the excitement is they're now able to realize the, the potential of IT without all of the headaches. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. Has the recent economic climate affected the financial goals of your firm? Get back on track with help from SunTrust. Our private wealth management legal specialty group works solely with lawyers and their firms to deliver unique solutions designed for the legal community. SunTrust advisors give you sound guidance on everything from maximizing cash flow and waiting through benefits planning to understanding how to retain attorneys and staff. Learn more at www.suntrust.com legal. SunTrust. Live solid. Bank solid. SunTrust Bank. Member FDIC. 
Thanks for tuning into our program today. We want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager, is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS 70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge, or to learn more, visit www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. It's the office calling again. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, yeah. I need to do that, too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. That's perfect. The office can wait. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi. My co-host, Jay Craig Williams, is in court today and unable to be with us. Our guests today, uh, speaking about baby boom generation in large law firms and mid-sized law firms, are attorney Valerie C. Samuels, a partner in the firm Posternak Blankstein in London, Boston, and lawyer coach attorney Roy S. Ginsburg, joining us from the Twin Cities in Minnesota. Roy, in, in in your consulting with lawyers, do you ever discuss with them uh, the question of sort of when is when is the right time to leave? Uh, when is the right time to uh, decide make the decision themselves? Uh, to yeah, leave I, I frequently deal with that issue, and it's a moving target, and there is no right time. Uh, there's no perfect time. It's like asking when is there a perfect time to have a child? <laughs> Almost. Uh, you need to obviously consider finances, and I think that's what unfortunately most lawyers focus on. Exclusively, uh, is you know what's your number? Is it a half a million, a million, two million? Uh, and they neglect all the other things as far as what time to retire. Obviously, health issues, your own, your family, uh, your parents. A lot of the boomers are in what they call the sandwich generation, worrying about their their parents as well as their kids who who can't uh, uh, find jobs. And and lawyers fail to plan about what are, what are they going to do once they uh, you know retire. Uh, so they don't again. Uh, too much, too much concentration on the money piece, which is certainly I don't want to underestimate the importance of that. You want to be able to maintain the lifestyle, uh, but uh, don't realize that they need to figure out what they, what they're going to do and uh, and what kind of other health may uh, you know impact a lot of uh, the things, the best laid plans. So even why I, I stress planning and all the articles you read out there talk about planning, you know, one, you know one one health issue and someone in their family could you know turn things upside down, and uh, the planning is is useless. In some ways, when I when I think about this problem, I'm I'm not entirely clear on what the problem is for for a law firm, and I and I don't mean to be uh, making light of it, but uh, the I, I guess the issue with, with with baby boomers in law firms is this is this top heavy issue that that suddenly firms are faced with the situation of having uh, more uh, lawyers at at the upper levels of the firm than than they've 
you know, traditionally had. Valerie, is that is that the issue for for employers of any kind that they're becoming top heavy in a sense? And if so, what how do you what do you advise them in terms of how to how to handle that? Well, the big firms do, as you say, operate on the pyramid structure, and they're very concerned about having a place financially and otherwise for the sort of up-and-comers, the people in their 30s and 40s and even early 50s who, you know, are looking to sort of take over. Um, and if the older generation, so to speak, doesn't leave, that makes, that results in no room for the next generation to move up. That's less of a problem in a smaller firm because um, they don't operate or not all of them operate on that strict pyramid sort of model. Some of them are just happy to have whoever's there who's billing and bringing in clients and has great relationships with clients and does good work. But in the big firm model, I think what they need to do is really have some, give some thought to this. It's obvious from the EEOC in these two cases that they brought against big firms that it's no longer going to work to push partners out when they hit 65 or 68 or 70. So there's going to have to have some real standards in place. Um, number of hours worked, for example, amount of money brought in, but that's going to have to be across the board. You can't just do that with the people that are older. Otherwise, that's going to be prima facie age discrimination. So they need policies and they need to think about this rationally. To a certain extent, when they're top-heavy and they retire on their own terms, it's going to be good, and they're they don't have a book of business. It's going to be good news for the law firms. It's when they, you know, it's the book of business. I think that's a big difference between law firms. I think in in corporate America about how to ease people out. Where in corporate America, it's a lot is based on talent politics. You know, who's rising to the top? Uh, at the end of the day, in most law firms, it's who you know who has the clients. Uh, and that's always been a dynamic, and that's going to—that's not going to change. So, uh, again, it's to the extent that they're going to be have problems, not uh, then they say top-heavy, but making sure when these people leave that the, the, all the business doesn't go out the door because it's such a relationship base. I think too many firms assume the clients are, especially in the bigger firms, they assume they're institutional and don't realize how key one particular or two lawyers may be critical to maintaining that relationship. And you read more and more about this. There's hardly any loyalty. Left. Left, uh, as far as <laughs> corporate America is concerned, dealing with their law firms, it's what have you done for me lately? Uh, there are a lot of you know uh, cost pressures, issues with diversity about you know whether they may not want to hire firms that are diverse enough uh, for them uh, in, in for some of the corporations. So uh, a lot of changes, but ultimately, again, in the practice those are successful. Those are the ones who are able to bring in the business, and that's not going to ch- you know that's not going to change. I, we're we're coming out of. Uh... A recession. Uh, some firms and some corporations were, were pretty hard hit, and some lawyers ended up on the street uh, over the last couple of years. And, and some of those lawyers who ended up on the street are are themselves older lawyers. Uh, I mean, they, we've been talking about the the problem of of lawyers who are employed at firms or who are partners at firms. Uh, but what what is this baby boom uh, 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 bubble? doing to uh, older lawyers who are unemployed? Is is it harder for them to find work uh, as they're competing against uh, younger lawyers coming up the chain? And I'll ask either of you that. I yeah, I think it's very, very, it's very difficult. A lot of them are becoming reluctant solos. Those were usually the ones that had a law school who couldn't find jobs. Now you have a whole new subset. I mean, I think the whole solo market be, has become and will continue to become a very, very competitive. 
uh, as le- so associates laid off and partners are shown the door within forties and and fifties. Other people going to you know try to find uh, are going to be forced to look into alternative careers. Others forced to retire earlier than they really want to. Uh, and not necessarily can afford to, but they don't have a choice. There, there really aren't that many. You know, if you're used to making a six-figure salary at a law firm and have no book of business and for whatever, and you're shown the door, realistically speaking, there are few options unless you're willing to be very, very flexible and, and reinvent yourself to a certain extent. It's true, and it depends, of course, on the person's specialty. I mean, if the if the attorney was sort of a generic litigator or even, let's say, an employment lawyer, they can probably go out and hang a shingle. They can probably do plaintiff's employment work if they want to if they came from a big firm that did only defense work. But if you're used to doing, you know, mergers and acquisitions at a very high level, it's going to be very hard to go out as a solo and do that kind of work. Yeah. Another good example is this, if you're a real estate lawyer now, <laughs> they're, they're in big trouble. Yeah. There's, there's not many opportunities for them. But on the other hand, if you do bankruptcy work, at least for the time being, you know, life is good. It's going to, Again, good point, Valerie. Uh, it's very dependent upon practice area, and that, that could change. Well, our our time is uh, already running short for this program, and before we conclude, I would like to give each of you an opportunity to wrap up with your final thoughts, uh, and also to let our listeners know how they can follow up with you if you'd like to do that. Uh, so, Valerie Samuels, let me start with you. Sure. First, thanks for having me on your show. It's been a pleasure. Um, Happy to have you. I guess if there is one thing that cuts across both the law firm and the lawyers, it's planning. That's the message, I think, from this show. Law firms have to plan. They have to think this through. Be proactive, not reactive. Certainly, lawyers have to plan. If you're someone who's 60 years old and has no book of business, you're in deep trouble. If you're someone who has a huge book of business, you have to think think this out carefully. What do you want to do? How do you want to retire? Etc. Um Lack of planning, in my experience, is the key to doom. And so I think that law firms can no longer assume that they can do what they want. The EEOC is clearly watching them, and it's going to make an example of them. So, you know, they need to get their ducks in a row and avoid lawsuits and keep their business and keep their younger generation as well as their older generation happy. I think that's the key here. All right, and, and Valerie, I just want to say I know I know your law firm, uh, Posternak Blankstein, is uh, PBL dot com. Uh, uh, yes. There, uh, you, anything you can reach else me uh, you at, want to do? Uh, Samuels at PBL dot com. Our firm is www dot PBL dot com, and feel free to contact me if you have any questions. Very good, thank you. And Roy, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but please, your your final thoughts. Uh, my yeah, my final thoughts. Uh, that first again, again, I want to thank you, uh, Bob, for inviting me to participate here. I'm not, I won't repeat everything that Valerie said because I couldn't. Uh, that's actually what the script that I had to say. But I will actually <laughs> quote someone, a ba- someone who hopefully actually baby boomers will recognize the name, especially male baby boomers. His, his name is John Wooden. Of course, he coached the, the great UCLA teams of uh, Lou Al, who was then known as Lou Alcindor and uh, Bill Walton. He said, "Failure to plan is planning to fail." So again, be be proactive, uh, not and, and not reactive. Uh, and as far as uh, giving my uh, little promotional uh, uh, speech here, I can be reached. Uh, I have my own website, www.royginsburg. That's G-I-N-S-B-U-R-G uh, dot com, and I can be reached at Roy at royginsburg dot com. More than happy to answer any questions anybody has about any issues that we've talked about here uh, during this past half hour. Again, thank you very much, Bob. 
Yeah, Valerie and Roy, thank you very much, uh, both of you, for taking the time to be with us today. A great discussion, uh, interesting topic. Uh, that about does it for this week's program. A reminder to our listeners that uh, you can now get CLE credit uh, for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer through the West Legal Ed Center. Uh, go to thelegaltalknetwork.com, click on the West Legal Ed Center button there. And of course, you can find all of our programs going back, uh, getting close to six years now uh, on legaltalknetwork.com and uh, on iTunes in the podcast library there. So join us next week for another episode of Lawyer to Lawyer. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.